The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. Beyond bringing film to audiences, the Vancouver International Film Festival has made an effort in recent years to explore new technology and champion local artists and tech talent. VIF presented the second edition of Signals at this year's festival in partnership with DigiBC, an interactive exhibition featuring 35 curated projects that investigate the potential of creative tech in storytelling, from interactive AI to augmented reality. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we catch up with VIF Executive Director Kyle Fosner, DigiBC ED Locke Dow, Dene introduced disciplinary artist Casey Koizan, and filmmaker and artist Loretta Todd, one of the matriarchs behind the IM4 Lab, an inclusive Indigenous space offering mentorship in immersive technologies. My name is Kyle Fosner. I'm the executive director of the Vancouver International Film Festival um, and co-founder of the Singles Program. About um, seven years ago, we started to um, branch out from traditional cinema into live performances, into music, into, um, into talks and conferences, and then also into virtual reality. And we did a few years dabbling in that and then launched Viv Immersed, uh, which was a, about a three-year program focused on virtual reality and in specific filmmaking within virtual reality so full feature films in that context Uh, and that was a fun place to explore but changes in the marketplace changes in artist habits uh, started to feel uh, around 2021 as though uh, that that market was really narrowing so um, when the funding for that program ended in early 2022 I came to Lockdown, who's the executive director of DigiBC, and I asked him for advice uh, as to what I should do next with the program. Uh, Locke has a background in digital uh, work with the NFB and is, is really respected across the industry nationally and internationally. So uh, when he turned around and said, well, maybe I want to partner with you, <laughs> I took that pretty seriously. And, and from there, the kernel of the Singles idea was born. You mentioned that previous attempts to veer into AR and VR at the festival were a difficult transition. What's different about this exhibit? Well, I think it's timing as part of that. So, you know, VR had a heyday and, and it continues to be a strong medium, but not, the say, the dominant medium that I think everyone had kind of hoped it would be. It was also difficult for us in terms of timing because at that point in our uh, history, we had been really a traditional film festival for a very long time. I wasn't sure our audience was ready to come with us. So there were a lot of questions as to why are we doing this? Who is this for? You know, and, and I think the sort of internationality of that program too made a bit of a disconnect for our audience. Um, so what's great about Signals is that it doesn't rely on a single technology. It doesn't rely on on you experiencing that technology by yourself. So there's a communal engagement, which is very similar to cinema. And then also it's very rooted in local creators, in local curators, uh, working with the Indigenous Matriarchs Collective who work here, who 
There's uh, one of the matriarchs is on our board of directors. Uh, so it's very connected to the traditional film making community, but they're playing in this really exciting space. So I think that helps our audience and Vancouver as a whole open up to the concept of creative technologies and how they interact with each other and what the possibilities they, they bring to the creative sphere. Do you think audiences are opening up to these emerging forms of storytelling? I think they are. I mean, I think we use technology in more and more ways in our daily lives. Um, and I think, you know, looking around this exhibit, we have huge LED walls, we have projection mapping, we have uh, traditional VR, but we also have a Nintendo Switch over here, uh, which is, you know, my son's technology. <laughs> so I think there's an appetite now for that. And I also think that because this is a more playful environment than watching a static VR film. I think it opens it up to people who want to come down and explore, uh, and they can explore in a physical way, uh, which wasn't possible before. My name is Lok Dao. I'm the executive director of DigiBC, which is the Creative Technology Industry Association here in BC. So we represent the video game studios, animation, visual effects, virtual production, and XR sectors. So we partnered with the Vancouver International Film Festival to put on this new festival called Signals. So this is the first full year run of Signals, which is a festival that celebrates both BC's tech and talent. And also we partner, one of our curators is Loretta Todd, uh, who runs IM4. So we have a very strong indigenous curated program. And then our other curator, Debbie Wong, brings in a whole performance and, and art uh, aspect um, from from you know, the other side of the creative industries. Why did you feel it was important to have this type of exhibition at the festival? I used to work at the, the NFB, and I was the co-founder of the NFB Digital Studio. And so over my time there, we got a chance to travel around the world and, and have our projects at Sundance and Tribeca and at festivals in Europe. And one of the things that I found really challenging was that in Canada... In Montreal, we had, we had some support, but in the rest of Canada, in English Canada, there wasn't really anything to celebrate and support um, this, this kind of creative um, talent that looked at you know, new forms of storytelling with technology. So when we had the opportunity last year to try and pilot something with FIF, uh, we, we said yes and you know, worked, worked on, on something that was smaller and ran a shorter amount of time. And this year we all we agreed and we, we have support from um, great sponsors from the province um, to uh, Canada Media Fund um, to uh, commercial partners who, who want to bring art and technology into uh, public places like this. After my, my international experiences as a, as a producer and, and an artist on projects, I wanted to have a festival here that allowed us to be able to celebrate the people in our own backyard we have some of the best talent in the world that in their day jobs they make you know they work on things like spider-man and mandalorian and um, make some of the most well well-known video games like fifa um, but a lot of those artists um, also have projects on their own they're always exploring new ideas and 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 working with new technologies so we wanted to give um, we wanted a, a way for them to be able to share that and to and for us to be able to to shine a spotlight on them. The, the film industry has always been an early adopter of technology. It's it's um, when you go all the way back to 
to the early days when the camera came off to the tripod in documentary, right? And that changed and created the new form of point of view documentary. Um, a lot of sound recording technology, IMAX, that all came out of the film, right? So it's, it's within this ethos that working, working and coming from film that um, I find that you know, the, there's the commercial side of new technology being created. We've had all these fads over the years, some 3D TVs, right? Even VR in their first release, it was is actually the third time it came out. Technology isn't really anything by, by and of itself, right? And you really need the power of the creative mind to, to understand and explore how that technology can be used in service of storytelling, of experiences, of furthering human connection. And, and I think... That was what um, what we try and provide here is uh, one of the things that's very unique about Signals um, compared to the other festivals I've been at is we as curators, uh, Debbie Loretta and I, because we also have produced and are, have been an art, uh, artists, we work a lot uh, with the artists we invite. So everything you see here um, has never existed in, in this form anywhere else. It's um, both unique to both the space, but also the talent we have on our team that we bring to this, and also um, the collaboration between us and the artists. We have projects around that look at AI, and you know we know it's a very contentious and challenging issue, and that's well covered in a lot of uh, mainstream media right now. But we wanted to also um, look at what is the potential you know, acknowledging that there's a lot of risks right now around this, that we have a lot of things we've learned since social media has really changed the world and changed the way we consume information and news. We wanted to understand how projects like entanglement and recollection, how they can look at understanding, how can, how can they look at the world. So entanglement looks at the fungal and mycelial network underground and how, how that works and how trees grow. And for us, you know, with the forest fires we've had here this year, it's something that was important to us to, to have that connection between this new technology and um, being connected to the earth. And then for recollection, it, because it looks at memories of Alzheimer's patients and then reimagines what new, their new memories are, could be with, uh, by interacting with the user at the installation, um, we wanted to, we're really curious about the potential of the afterlife of of um, being able to to continue who you are maybe after after you pass what kind of feedback have you gotten so far from people coming through the exhibit people are intrigued by projects that have ai in them i think they come because they're they're curious about you know an art project that might use artificial intelligence um, but i think they they also come because there's this interesting combination of programming of curation because of what Loretta brings with IM4 and the artist that she has here. I mean, when you walk in and you know you have a you see a TP indoors and then you see a, a holographic projection inside of the TP, uh, looking at you know spirits welcoming people into the afterlife. It's not a it's not a common experience that you would come across. Right? Hi, my name is Loretta Todd. I'm Cree Métis from the Red River Métis, the St. Paul de Métis, and Whitefish Lake First Nation. I am a filmmaker mostly. Um, but as a filmmaker, I've always been interested in the intersection between, you know, old school film and technology. So right from the beginning, I was sort of exploring, having fun. I did a, I did a, um, an, an app, a Cree language app, like 
12, 15 years ago, you know, and so I've always sort of really interested in how we can kind of expand that 2D screen to be even, even more. And then somewhere along the line, I decided that it was really important to create the IM4 lab so that Indigenous people could have free and inclusive access to technology. Um, I think it's really important because, as I was saying, we sort of see the world in a different way and imagine when we get these tools in our hands how we're going to um, express and visualize how we see the world. And so that's really what I've been doing. I've been running the IM4 Lab as a creative director for about five years now. And we've trained over 300 people um, in um, XR from AR to VR, now virtual production and Unreal. Um, people have been working, uh, youth, we work with youth creating um, music videos and web VR. We work with elders who are interested in seeing how these technologies might help with storytelling and language, particularly language. There's a real interest in Indian country to use these tools to help language, to teach language, to preserve language. And so, yeah, so that's basically me. What have you found putting emerging tech in the hands of storytellers? Well, I think, you know, in the past, our people have been told, oh, well, you can't do that, you can't do this, you know, this is not accessible to you, you know. Um, but we've always been innovative. I mean, I come from a family where um, they could have an auntie who's, who's gone now, but she used to be able to take any engine apart and put it back together again. I mean, when you've had very little um, material, when you something breaks down, you have to fix it yourself, you know. And so there's all these people in, in, in our indigenous community that are very technically adept and very uh, and then think always in different ways than maybe sort of mainstream. So when you give them technology, they're bringing all that with them. So they're not just going, oh no, I can't do this because it's scary. It's more like, hey, how can I interpret this? How can I adapt this? How can I make it work for me? And it's sort of been a really exciting you know, time because people are um, doing things that, first of all, they didn't think they could do and realizing, hey, it's not that hard, you know, and, 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 and because we make it as accessible as we can, I mean, obviously you can do a VR for a million dollars. I mean, obviously you can do, you know, AI for a million dollars, but you can also do VR for $1,500, you know. You, I mean, it's not that people shouldn't be paid for their work, but, I mean, as an artist, you can kind of, like, create and find tools and, you know, find ways to do it. Um, I can't wait until our people have the million dollars <laughs> to be able to create a VR or, uh, you know, a game. But uh, in the meantime, it, it's everything is so innovative, so full of energy and exuberance. And despite all the intergenerational trauma that we carry, everything's so hopeful. Everything people do, and humor. Uh, the films that came out of the virtual production program, there's so much humor. It, it's just really, I think that's what happens. Just all aspects of ourselves come out and, and are expressed through the technology. You mentioned something really interesting about making this free and accessible, but that internet speeds are still an issue for some of the creators that are working with these programs. Certainly, um, high-speed internet is not accessible in the north in particular. I mean, I, when I do my research, when I write the grants for the programming that we do, you know, I look up and, you know, in the north, Statistically, there's like very, very few households, and that's why many native communities are going to Skylink or whatever satellite um, internet, just because they can't wait anymore for you know the, the high uh, high-speed internet to come into their communities. 
Um, and we had that problem with the virtual production program because we've had students, we had students in the north, we had students in remote communities, and that was a problem, you know. And, and sometimes they would have, you know, they would have connectivity issues. We tried to overcome them. We were really lucky. We worked with the University of Victoria, their computer science department, and they were able to arrange for us to work with um, Amazon um, Web Services, which provided uh, virtual machines. So if their particular computer didn't have that power capacity, then the, the virtual machines would give them that power capacity. As far as the interconnectivity, um, you know, it was still an issue, but it just seemed to, because we were working with that, with University of Victoria and their computer science department, we found a lot of workarounds. So we tried to keep it to a minimum, those interruptions. Probably three quarters of our students were living in urban areas, uh, even if they were small, you know, towns. Um, so their internet wasn't too bad. It's the per people working in the north and then smaller native communities that are really still struggling with that. Do you want to talk about signals here at VIF and putting this together? I, I admire Locke so much, DigiBC. He has, you know, reached out to the IM4 all along. He's promoted the IM4 all along. He didn't have to do that. He brought us into the digital uh, DigiBC world, which is all these big high-tech companies, all these, you know, they're, you know, doing all kinds of high-tech stuff. And, you know, we work with modest budgets. We, we work primarily uh, trying to be inclusive and, you know, free access. So it, it's, it was so exciting that when he said, hey, no, you belong to here as well as anybody else. And so he's been amazing in terms of promoting us. And last year, we did, we, with the first signals, we also were participants in that. And we brought some of the work that represented indigenous artists working in the tech field. And then this year, we've expanded it. And this, we got this big space. And yeah, I wanted to be as you know, inclusive again, even in the programming. But I just feel that, um, I don't know, I just think that Locke and Debbie are so alert and so cognizant of the need for inclusivity, diversity, and, and respect in how we go about doing the work. There's so much collaboration. There's so much collaboration on all the works, the people who do are doing these works. They collaborate with so many people themselves. So the fact that often when we think of sort of the epic or the grand or the big, we think that it's, you know, has to be led by one epic grand person, when in fact it's really a group of people, you know, working together to kind of achieve that. And I really think that's what sort of signal, signals represents. Do you think it's important that it's seen here at, at a festival like VIF? Oh, I think it's really important signals is at VIF because you know, festivals, they're about dark rooms with, you know, lining up and, you know, hoping you can get in to see a film. And so when this happens, that means, you know, you can be walking down Burrard and you go, oh, what's that? You know, yeah, you have to book to get in because, you know, there's a limited space. But, but at the same time, it's sort of, it's not only about the festival, it's just about the, you know, the, just an ordinary person walking down the street could say, hey, what is this? What is it? And to find out that the, so many of the works are being created by local companies, by local talents, and that there's a large representation of Indigenous work, I think really sort of helps, you know, say to the world that these technologies can transform and they can bring good into the world. And it's good for the film festival because film festivals still have to keep evolving. You know, they got to keep changing. They got to kind of not be the dark room in the films. I mean, I'm a filmmaker. I want people to be in dark rooms, you know, watching my film. But, you know, COVID kind of told us that there's different ways that we have to experience story. And I think this is one of the ways of doing it. My name is Casey Koizan. 
a Dene interdisciplinary artist from Yellowknife Northwest Territories. I started, I like to say I started backwards in the arts world where I um, initially enrolled in a multimedia production program at Lethbridge College in Lethbridge, Alberta. Um, I did my Bachelor of Fine Arts at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, BC. Uh, that really taught me a lot more about the traditional aspect of arts and fine arts and visual arts in general. Um, and then I acquired my Masters of Fine Arts at uh, the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. And all throughout that time, I've kind of been intermixing technology and materials in order to sort of tell sort of different kind of stories about Indigenous culture, my, my culture, my journey through learning my culture. And ever since I was a kid, I was very inspired by sci-fi. Uh, so that really has a big sort of presence in my work as well, which makes a lot of sense with some of the stuff that I create now that's like heavily uh, digital. Um, also, I do installation work, audio, visual kind of stuff, soundtracks, soundscapes, music, 3D, AR, VR, and 360 filmmaking. So what was that journey to getting hands-on with emerging tech? I'm very self-taught. Uh, so a lot of that started with a uh, local organization, um, Western Arctic Moving Pictures in Yellowknife, that really got me into VR. Uh, they suggested I try a program called Tilt Brush. Uh, that really got me into creating with virtual reality. Um, and then that kind of piggybacked into learning more about 3D in general. Um, so I utilize a lot of VR technology to do my models, and then I use Blender in order to animate and uh, bring all of these ideas to life. So how has emerging tech changed the way that you tell stories? Immersive technology is really, really uh, impactful because the way that I interpret it is rather than telling a story on a flat screen, you're able to actually put people right in the middle of your story. So things like scale really come to fruition a lot more uh, tangibly. You know, you can kind of play a lot more with sound and more of just the immersive environment having things behind the viewer as well so it kind of forces them to turn around it just adds like a lot more of a of a sensory kind of uh, perception of filmmaking can you talk about the inspiration for the project that that's being exhibited here today uh, well, I have three projects uh, in this in this exhibit. Uh, the first one is New Cookums, um, which was inspired uh, by by our our elders right now and future elders. Um, so I mentioned within the walkthrough that, like, you know, in the future, a lot of the the Cookums to be are going to have like mohawks. They're going to be fully tatted up, you know, like all this sort of stuff. So it's kind of a kind of a comedic angle to it, but it's also a reality, right? The other project I have is called Aleja, uh, All at Once, and it's a three-minute 3D VR animated short film of uh, multiple timelines of Denende, which is the Northwest Territories where I'm from. Um, so it has the current landscape of my mom's cabin, which is like 30 to 40 minutes outside of Yellowknife. It'll have the the animals, the giant, giant animals of the past kind of roaming through the landscape and then you'll have like a futuristic city sort of like totally surrounding uh, the lake that my mom's cabin is on with like flying cars and that sort of thing. There's a, an underwater city that's under the ice. Um, no dialogue within the film, it's all just visual. Um, so I wanted to show kind of like the, the different timelines that are represented. And then Tequetla, which uh, means walk in a circle, is inspired by a lot of indigenous arts, crafts and 
includes life materials. Uh, so it's a growing series, but right now I have six walk cycles that are featuring antler, tanned moose and caribou hide, beadwork, dentalium shells, porcupine quills, and moose and caribou hair tufting. I'm having so much fun making these. Like, <laughs> I have a blast making these things. And usually, like, my... My aesthetic has always been very dark. You know, it's it's uh, sometimes like heavy subject matter. So when I created Tufting, for instance, it was the first really colorful one that I created. A bunch of people reached out to me like, dude, are you okay? Like, is there, because <laughs> this is like totally different than anything you've ever made. And it's like, well, Moose and Caribou Hair Tufting is usually like really bright and colorful and it's fluffy, yeah. you know? Yeah. So right. I wanted this piece to really reflect that as well. What do you think of this whole concept of putting indigenous creators on the cutting edge of emerging technology. It really gives us the opportunity to tell our stories in a completely new and exciting way. And I think it's really it's really powerful, some of the stories that are being created now. Um, most notably the youth. Um, that's been one of my sort of MOs since you know being an artist, is to really try and inspire the youth um, in order to be better artists than we are now because that's evolution in a nutshell. You can revisit this year's Signals projects online at signals.digibc.org or find the link on our podcast page at broadcastdialogue.com. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Thiessen. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Alison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.